Aviators! This is Pilot Jim G coming to you once again from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, home of EAA AirVenture 2016. Welcome to the In Controlled Airspace Podcast episode 409 Bravo, our daily for Monday, opening day of AirVenture 2016. The humidity and heat has gone away a little bit. We've been able to survive without sweating from thinking, which is a wonderful thing. And sleeping last night was a little easier than the, what we described on the previous daily where we were sleeping through thunderstorms. Much ple- more, more pleasant. And to confirm this, I'm going to put on the air my two favorite cohorts, Jeb Bernstein and Dave Higdon, who are camping just yards away. Well, thank you, Jim, and, and uh, thanks again for, for helping out on all these podcasts this week. Uh, so far, so good on, on the weather, so far, so good on the show, and, and uh, uh, it's been a great day so far, running into a lot of people I know, doing some, uh, some window shopping and uh, having a good time at AirVenture. I heard you say that uh, it beats sitting in a room where you don't see anybody. Now you've got to go around and talk to everybody. Well, that's, that's exactly right. It's been a lot of fun. It's very refreshing to be here in this role as opposed to other roles I've done. Dave, what do you, you, you know everybody. You talk to everybody. Well, uh, not everybody yet, but I keep trying to add to the list every year. Uh, got over here uh, not obscenely early this morning for a couple of press events. Uh, visited with some EAA folks and uh, was uh, not surprised to hear that aircraft parking is full, the campgrounds are full. Uh, This place is basically closed to arrivals, which is going to be good business for Fond du Lac and Appleton, but, uh, and good businesses for the Cabusin bus people. I've been coming about 10 years and uh, I don't ever remember the campground being full. In fact, they always say, no matter what, you can't, if you can't get a hotel, you can't get a dorm room, you can always come to the campground. Did they actually turn away people at the campground? Yeah, that's what I was told this morning. And uh, some people that have been coming here longer than me and, and working on the site uh, said even after we added significant camping space for both aircraft camping, home-built camping, and for the Chant and RV campers, over in uh, Camp Schaller, it's still filled up. And consider, considering how yesterday's weather started out, the fact that they filled in all the gaps yesterday, to me, is just stone cold remarkable. That's, it's quite a change from 08, 09. Jeb, do we have any special guests for today's daily episode? <laughs> we do indeed. Uh, uh, an old friend, uh, a good friend, uh, both uh, personally and professionally, uh, Rick Perry who is uh, Vice President of Government and Industry Affairs for the Aircraft Electronics Association. Uh, both, uh, many listeners will have will remember Dave and I both uh, on occasion uh, doing some work for uh, AEA, doing some writing work for AEA. Um, Rick is not that person. He's not the person to whom we report on all that. Uh, Rick uh, does a lot of the uh, more visible um, uh, hands-on government work with, for, for the association. He's their guy in Washington, if you will. So, Rick, I do want to welcome you to the podcast, and uh, thank you for coming. Well, thank you for inviting me, and uh, it's great to be here. Uh, one of the things in your background, when you're in your earlier lives, was service in the Coast Guard. And uh, this year at AirVenture, the, the uh, organization, the association, is celebrating the 100th year of Coast Guard aviation. Uh, what's your perspective on that? Uh, 
first of all, being a Coastie, it's uh, pretty special to be here this year. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Coast Guard Aviation started in 1916 um, with the, uh, the first two entrants into flight school at Pensacola on April 1st of, uh, of uh, 1916. So it's, it, it, and, and arguably that's the birth date of Coast Guard Aviation. And we've been pretty much flying ever since. When you were in the Coast Guard, what did you do? Um, well, the Coast Guard's a unique service. Um, I actually started in the Air Force, and in the Air Force I was a mechanic, um, and that's what you did as a mechanic. In the Coast Guard, anybody who maintains airplanes also has to maintain a crew position. So when you ask a Koski what he did in the Coast Guard, it's they did the, the maintenance side of things, which I was an airplane mechanic by trade, uh, and uh, on the flight side, uh, I did two, two uh, tours in uh, helicopters, uh, rescue helicopters, uh, Sikorsky's, and then uh, three tours in C-130s before a desk in Washington. And so uh, lots of things happened in those years. Uh, I, uh, I predate the rescue swimmer that most people are familiar with today. Uh, I was in uh, the H-52 helicopter and uh, I was part of the first class that ever went to EMT school. So in addition to maintaining my toolbox on the airplane and being the guy hanging out the door with the hoist or the, the, the guy on the platform pulling people out of the water into the helicopter, uh, I had the privilege of doing uh, uh, playing medic and banding Jim up after I got him. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, you also have something of a, of a uh, track record here at AirVenture. You've been a volunteer for a number of years on uh, what we were talking about earlier. Kind of, it, sometimes it's called the West Ramp, sometimes it's called Aeroshell Square. I have completely forgotten what it's called this year. But you've, you've been a rampy over there for a number of years. You're not doing that now, but uh, what was that experience like? Well, I, I, did, I, I was part of the Ramp Rats um, for about 10 years. Um, and this is, uh, I think this is my 17th year uh, straight. My, my first air venture was in the early uh, 1980s. But uh, I did 17 years straight here, and the first 10 years I volunteered. Uh, but, you know, it's one of the things you've reported over the years is how busy this place has gotten. And unfortunately, I have too much official work to allow me to do my volunteer work. And so uh, about, you know, five years or so ago, I quit doing the volunteer work. Uh, but the Aeroshell Square was great. Um, when first uh, first started out, uh, did uh, ombudsman to the, to the exhibitors down there and ran water and ice for them. Uh, and that progressed uh, parking airplanes and towing airplanes and basically everybody, uh, people don't realize that everything that is on exhibit uh, at the manufacturer's level, so everything that's up the main throat between the two hangars, that all comes through, uh, I think it's Boeing Plaza this year. Um, yeah. And um, I, it's still Aeroshell Square or West Ramp for me. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, everything comes through the throat there. And I spent the last three or four years uh, as part of the marshalling crew in the throat bringing in the aircraft. And so that was a lot of fun. And it, my, uh, my highlight with that was my last year. Um, I was actually able to bring in one of the Hueys that uh, I was crew chief for from my Air Force days back in the 70s. Outstanding. Yeah, that, that's the kind of stories that we like to hear. And there's just so many of them here at AirVenture every year. But... Uh, Early, early in my acquaintance with Rick, I was up here working, uh, doing some photo work, and I went cruising across the ramp, and I hear this voice, Hey, Dave, 
she talking to me? It's like, I didn't recognize him in the ramp, West Ramp, rat's uniform. And I'm like, I'm so used to seeing him in something more uh, formal, business appropriate. But I never made that mistake again. Every time I'd cross that ramp, I'd look for this boy. Yeah, Washington casual. Yeah. <laughs> You're heavily involved, obviously, in the avionics industry. And one of the more recent developments uh, in the U.S. in avionics has been the uh, FAA's $500 rebate program for ADSB installations. AEA obviously had a major role uh, in that uh, that effort with the FAA. What's next for that? Next for what? Well, what, what comes next in f as far as the rebate program itself is concerned? It hasn't formally gone into gone into effect. Actually, Deb, uh, why don't we just give a quick capsule summary of what the rebate program is, okay. in case our listeners don't know. Um, for, for those listeners who may not be aware, the FAA earlier this year announced a rebate program where um, owners of piston single engine airplanes would be eligible for a $500 rebate if they installed an ADSB out solution in their aircraft, in their airplane, uh, within a certain time frame. Uh, that time frame starts, I believe, September 1, September 30, something like that. Um, again, I know AEA has been, been fairly involved in uh, putting this program together and, and trying to get it over the finish line. Uh, is, the next, is everything settled out? We're just kind of waiting for the effective date? Well, there's, there's a couple things with it. Most of what you, you've got there was right. Um, it's, uh, it is piston singles. Uh, essentially, um, arguably the the recreational aircraft and the intent is is to to help uh, uh, incentivize the recreational aircraft so they don't all wait until 2019 to do the installation and so it's intended as an incentive to kind of ramp the curve up a little bit between now and when we know it's going to ramp up which is 2018 and 2019 people will come automatically there because they're going to be grounded on 2020 anyway so the incentive program is there. It's a fixed amount of money. Uh, when that money runs out, the program's over. It's as simple as that. There is no extension. There is no, oh, I'm going to wait for Rev 2 of this. It's not going to happen. It's a one-time shot. Um, it's $10 million, uh, 20,000 units, and when that's gone, that's gone. Um, unfortunately, the FAA had to announce it before implementation, and that had nothing to do with the FAA. Um, for those of us that have spent time in Washington, we know that all of the agencies have to react to different regulatory systems, just like we in industry have to respond to the FAA's regulatory system. In this particular case, the Paperwork Reduction Act and the um, Privacy Acts, because we have a paper form or a form that has to be filled out, even electronic, there's a form that has to be filled out and the form captures your email address. Both of those, by other laws, require federal agencies to give public notice that they intend to do this and it's that public notice that caused the FAA to announce it before the actual implementation date. Um, the implementation date is intended for September uh, but that can shift depending on how many comments they received and if those comments are negative because they have to as we know dispose of all comments before they can implement it. So there's, there's still a little bit of a, we hope it works as scheduled, 
but a lot of that is just simply predicated on the number of comments they receive. Um, and we're not alone on this one. Um, we worked with uh, Gamma and AOPA and, and uh, the other associations that focus on uh, the recreational community to do this. Uh, you do have to use a uh, certified, a TSO'd uh, ADSB, but it's not limited to certified airplanes. So it's certified airplanes and, and experimental and light sport, but the one caveat is, is it does have to be a certified uh, equipment. Uh, well, down the road, we, we want to have you back on the, the podcast to get, try to get a how goes it uh, on this program. But let me ask you this. In my memory, nothing like this has ever been done by the FAA. And I've been doing this for 40 plus years. Is that your memory also? Uh, this is new and novel, and and it's and it literally is uh, Administrator Huerta's commitment to general aviation. Uh, you know, kudos to him and and Michael Whitaker. Uh, they just are absolutely committed to general aviation and doing a great job. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh well, you know, yeah, the 2020 deadline is going to get pushed. Well, as you just said, this is unprecedented. It's, I I'm still not willing to bet the farm but I'll bet the barn on it because because uh, never in a mandate uh, have we had a 10-year implementation had the ground infrastructure in place five years before the due date um, worked with industry to pr provide cost-effective solutions and then oh by the way a 10 million dollar rebate program for an incentive program to to promote this um, these are all unprecedented acts to make sure that the, the general aviation community isn't disenfranchised by this. Um, every step they take reinforces the fact that January 1st of 2020, if you want to get a $100 hamburger in, restricted air, or in, in regulated airspace, you're going to have the equipment in place. Is there any mechanism in place that keeps the manufacturer from just bumping the price up $500 and figuring the credit, the government rebate will take care of it. Not at all. All right, good to know. Well, but but I mean, it you know, first of all, the government doesn't regulate prices, right. okay? Uh, competition does that. Um, as we know in this show in particular, uh, a new entrant into the certified ADSB is here. Um, and again, bumping that price a little bit lower this time, not significantly, but a few bucks. And so uh, the competition, and you know, in the booth over here, we've had lots of people coming through going, hey, what am I looking at? Um, and I usually, while I recite to them uh, AOPA's um, uh, uh, evaluation tool that they hold on the website for ADSB, uh, the decision tool, um, I usually send them to there because you have to understand what your flight needs are before you can actually decide what equipment you want. But in both 1090 Extended Squitter as well as the UAT, there's at least a half a dozen competitive entrants there. Sure, but as, as an airplane owner, I was thinking, oh, this is going to work to my benefit. I just want to make sure it doesn't, you know, that I get some piece of it. There is, first of all, there's no indication that anybody's raising prices right now. We fully expect, as demand is out there, the product prices may not rise, but the overtime for the shops is going to go up. 
That's true. Okay. That's the problem. Um, but the other side of it is, is that um, because of the delay caused by the Office of Management and Budget with the Paperwork Reduction Act and the Privacy Act, um, many of the manufacturers are af actually offering a bridge rebate that allows you to go ahead and equip today before the FAA rebate to get those installations in so that we don't have a you know a 90-day moratorium on installations thanks and most of most of those rebates are, are special deals the OEMs the avionics <laughs> OEMs are offering are not coincidentally uh, valued at 500 bucks amazing how that works isn't it amazing how that works. Rick is there anything you got to see here at the show you know I, I have to see everything like everybody um, I have to tell you, it's an exciting year. It is a hugely exciting year. Um, you know, at Sun and Fun, EA had the shock and awe of the avionics industry, and it got a lot of people's attention. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and, and they basically broke the logjam. Um, the FAA has been working on the safety continuum, and if you've seen any FAA presentations in the last you know, two or three years, you've seen this, where the slide is this continuum of safety from single-engine recreational airplane up to the 787. And the FAA is trying to apply a regulatory approach to, based on the risk of those airplanes. We've always looked at that at the airplane level. This STC, and people call it the Dynon STC, it's not, it's the EAA STC that uses Dynon equipment. That is fundamentally the application of the safety continuum at the product level rather than the aircraft level, okay? So an individual article. What you're seeing in this show in the first two days are products being introduced that are leveraging that same philosophy and, and I'm expecting to see more and more products all week long. I mean, everybody has announcements they're making. Everybody's taking advantage of this. The days of applying a 787 TSO to a recreational two-place airplane, those days are dwindling. You're going to see more PMA, Parts Manufacturing Authority, with limitations to smaller airplanes. You're going to see a little more customization in this stuff. You're going to see a little bit more bridging from the high end of experimental and light sport into the low end of, of part 23. It's just an exciting time and all week it's just going to be pounded with that. Outstanding. Well, that's what we're looking for here. What, what, what do you spend most of your time here doing when you're not out seeing the sights that you want to see? Answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I walked myself into that one, didn't I? Well, I mean, well, Oshkosh has got a lot of government level and, and industry level meetings that go on. How much sure. of that are you involved in? We have a lot of FAA, uh, Part 23 in particular. This is the primary Part 23 show. So this is primarily where the small airplane director will do a lot of meetings. We have a lot of ASTM uh, going on here, a lot of ASTM meetings, the F-37 on light sport airplanes. Uh, they tend to meet here, uh, but honestly, I spend most of my time in the booth, which is what AEA does, uh, answering questions from consumers and pointing them to the shops that can satisfy their needs. It, I'm, a one, I'm, I'm stunned that you get time to see much of anything at all after that. 
I don't get much. Well, I'm, I'm appreciative that you took the time to be with us this afternoon. Um, on behalf of uh, Jack and uh, Dave and uh, uh, myself, Rick, thank you very, very much for coming on the uh, podcast. Jim, take us home. And a happy 100th to the Coast Guard. There you go. There you go. Nice birthday present. That's it. This has been Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast, episode 409. Bravo from Bravo, Bravo from AirVenture. We'll see you again tomorrow.